Good morning, church and viewers all over the world. It's great to be um, here today and be able to uh, share the Word of, of God with you. I'm really excited about uh, the scripture we're looking at today. Uh, there's so much in it, um, and we're certainly going to try to uh, to cover that. I mean, the just coming into it, um, I mean, the worship was just amazing. And I mean, I, in a way, I could rewrite my notes with all the words that we sang about today. Uh, and you'll see as we go along um, how the Lord is calling out to us to really surrender and to give all uh, to him. And I believe and, and really hope that that is where Father God will meet each one of us uh, today. He wants to meet you. I really want to encourage you to, to stay in the moment, to be here and hear God's voice for you today. There must be something somewhere there, someone you're thinking of uh, that needs to hear this, someone that um, you need to touch with the love and the grace of God. Uh, I, uh, it's my prayer that for each one of us, today will be a moment where Father God meets you and this day will be a day of change and things will be different uh, when we go into the day of tomorrow right so today we're going into um chapter 19 you know which book um so we're going to look at luke 19 from verse 11 to 27 so let's dive straight in um, and read that, that together while they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable, because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king, and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten mina. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in very small in a very small matter take charge of ten cities the second came and said sir your mina has earned five more his master answered you take charge of five cities then another servant came and said sir here is your mina i've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth i was afraid of you because you are a hard man you take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow his master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I come back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take this mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be a king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Whew, quite harsh. 
way to finish uh, that part. Um, I mean, this is a this is a wonderful piece of scripture for us to to dive into today. It's also very well known, and, and I'm sure that many of us have questions about the fairness uh, portrayed in the story. So, what is the message for us today? What is Jesus trying to tell us through this through this parable? I guess there's a clue uh, as to where he's going right in the first verse. So, if we re read that again in verse 11, uh, we read, "While they were listening to this." He went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Remember where we were last week. Uh, last week we were in Jericho and um, Jesus and his disciples was on their way to Jerusalem. Uh, and then we uh, remembered the amazing and wonderful salvation of Zacchaeus and, and how that happened. And Jesus ends that with saying, the son of man has come to save the lost. And remember, just before that, we, we experienced the story of the blind man who shouted out for Jesus, and he actually calls him son of David. So through these stories, the people around Jesus are being reminded of the messianic promise of salvation coming through a new ruler. And they certainly had an expectation of the Romans uh, being taken away they certainly had experience or an expectation, at least, of being freed like they were from Egypt and be taken into the promised land again. They wanted the rule of Rome to end. They want Jesus to be the ruler, to be on the throne. And despite Jesus have taken them on this journey and multiple times, he now needs to tell them another parable to remind them that the kingdom that he's bringing is of a different nature. And he therefore takes them uh, into into this parable. Um, we'll come to the verse, so I'll, I'll come to what's, what's on the screen, I guess, at some stage. I don't know whether the slideshow is moving on on its own. Um, doesn't matter. Right. So, Jesus always uses a familiar context when he, um, when he brings a parable. And in, in this case, he's telling us a story about a nobleman that goes to a faraway country to, to get his kingdom. Now, it's interesting that there were actually two recent events, call it recent, uh, that the people were known about uh, that, that Jesus is actually picking up. Uh, so there was a guy called Archelaus who was appointed by Rome to be the ruler over Judea, Samaria, and Idumea. Um, that was about 4 BC. Uh, there was also Herod the Great that also went to Rome to be appointed king over Judea. That was about 40 BC. So clearly the people would have been familiar with uh, the story of uh, a ruler going to a faraway place. And many biblical scholars are therefore saying that Jesus, Jesus is using that to also talk about the fact that he needs to go away uh, for the kingdom um, to be established. Um, I guess that is plausible, although we have to remember that in Luke 17, if you, if you remember, Jesus said very specifically to the Pharisees, the kingdom is amidst you, um, showing them that he is the kingdom uh, that has come to earth to show us. Uh, but nevertheless, it is still consistent with Jesus' teaching of him having to go through the suffering and, and come back one day to judge um, and to gather his followers for the, for the eternal kingdom. There is kind of two stories woven into this, this parable. So uh, you would see that the, the man gives an instruction, but then there's also the talk about 
subjects of him that didn't like him to be king and, king and sending a delegation. So if we then jump right to the end uh, of, the, of the parable, we read that those that did not support the king was destroyed. Now, reading in the context that I just explained uh, as, as Jesus going away and coming back, I mean, it feels an inappropriate allegory of the second coming of Jesus. Um, it, it just doesn't feel right if we consider it a God of love and grace. But let's not soften the reality of eternal death. Jesus came for us to be saved so that we can have eternal life. God has been on that journey with his people and is still on that journey with creation today to get us to the point where in the second coming of Jesus there will be salvation for those who believe and there will be complete destruction for those who don't believe. That message is within this parable as well. Now, you know, when, often when I read the Bible, I, I am amazed by God's patience if I read through the Old Testament. But let me not blame them. I just think about my own life. How many times do we need forgiveness? Well, we know that Jesus has come and he's taken that burden. And that's the fortunate thing for us, is that we have that salvation now through Jesus. That is a very important part of what we read here about. And it's something that we shouldn't miss and should not forget. So there may be someone here, a few people perhaps, that are listening to this today and saying, I've heard of this truth and I want to have it as well. So I really want to pause at this moment and give people that opportunity. This is the moment where you recognize the truth of Jesus as our Savior. Then let me lead you in a prayer now. Because it is that simple, is to declare your faith in Jesus. So let's pray. Father, I, I want to say sorry for my life of sin and for not seeing who you are and what you've done for us. I want to say thank you, Father, for sending Jesus. Jesus, thank you for what you did on the cross for us. Thank you that... You saved my life. I pray, Father God, please accept me as a child in your kingdom. Father, I want to journey with you. I pray, Father, that you will now lead me in this new life in a relationship with Jesus. Amen. If there's anyone that pray that, that prayer. I want to encourage you to find our uh, website, um, Oak Church, and get in touch with us. We would love to be on a journey with you to explore more what it means once, once we um, have come to that realization of eternal life that's in our God. So now let's consider the, the other part of this parable. Before the nobleman goes away, he, on his journey to receive his kingdom, he actually calls his servants and he gives them a business proposition. So 10 servants, 10 minas, one each, and the mina was roughly about four months worth of wages uh, at that time. And he gives them a very clear instruction. He says, put this money to work until I come back. Now, you know what? It immediately reminded me of what we, of what we read in Genesis 1, verse 28. God blessed them and say to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. 
And even then as well in Genesis 2, verse 15, where it says, The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. I've said it here before. Remember, this was before the fall. Work is not a bad thing. Right. It may have become a bit more difficult since the fall, but God established it. Um, and then we, we see the, the Great Commission from Jesus, another task that is giving us. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey every command I've given you. And then I can carry on and continue to quote scripture after scripture in Paul's teaching through the New Testament as he's giving us guidance and instruction as to what it means to live in this newfound freedom uh, once we have accepted Jesus as our, as our Savior until he comes again. So we read in the parable about the rewards of the servants uh, when the king returns. Uh, this, the first servant has returned his one mina plus ten more. What a great investment manager. I will probably want to talk to him. Um, the second one doesn't do that badly either. I mean, five uh, on top of the one he had is, is not bad at all. Another servant is not doing that great. And um, we will look at his excuse in a bit more detail just now. But just let's focus on those first two for a moment. They have been judged to be faithful with little and immediately gets a lot more responsibility in this new kingdom that the nobleman now has. The first servant gets ten cities to govern. The second one gets five cities to govern. It sounds kind of disproportionate, but it is just amazing that that is how their faithfulness is um, rewarded in that. Also, just a side note, just note that when we look at later on and the one mina is taken away from the other person given to the one that has ten, so they didn't actually give the minas back to the king, they held on to it and they were given more responsibility. Um, so let's stay with these two for a moment. What do we see in what they have done? They were given the same amount to do business with. They have applied themselves faithfully to the task that the, the nobleman gave them. They were obedient to the commission. I imagine they've been quite diligent, otherwise that kind of return just would not have come. But I'm sure that they had the return of the king, the return of the nobleman, in their mind all the time, as their motivation to keep on being diligent in what they did. Their desire to, on his return, to hear the words that he then spoke, you're a good servant, to find his, their master to be pleased with him on their return. That must have been their motivation. Also note that both of them are praised by the king for their effort. And that we've, that we've read. Then. So then what about the other guy? Um, well, listen to his excuse. But let's remember what we just saw about this king. This king has just uh, given a reward in extreme measure to those that have been faithful. This guy brings back the Mina and claims that he was afraid to do anything with it, accusing the king of being a hard man that reaps where he doesn't sow. Also, he mentioned that he kept the Mina in a, in a cloth somewhere for safekeeping. Now, in the culture of the day, if you had something of value, you will bury it uh, to keep it safe. So even in that act, he's proven to be not as diligent as one would expect him to be with something that is precious. 
So the king challenges his logic and is suggesting if it was true that he was so such a harsh manager, why wouldn't they at least have put the money in the bank so that there's some interest uh, to come back from that? I think we see someone here that's been caught out. I think we see someone here that did not know the king. He did not respect his master enough to want to do something in the, in the task that has been given. Are we seeing someone here that was part of, but not part of the kingdom? Is this another Judas? Someone that is on a journey with Jesus, but actually didn't really know him, didn't really love him, didn't really believe him. I want to suggest that this message for us here is to take note of that, to make sure that we know Jesus and not just know of Jesus. In Matthew 6, verse 20, we read the following, where Jesus is teaching, he's saying, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin would not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven. I urge you to allow God to bless you with his reward now. Allow heaven to come to earth. That is what he's asking us to do with what he's given us. We have to submit all we have, all we are, in obedience to God. Last week, Adam called out very vividly what it meant for Zacchaeus to do what he needed to do to meet Jesus. He was not holding back. He was prepared to be ridiculed in order to fill the void in his life. And that effort was rewarded with joy and abundance and an immediate response of obedience. Adam asked us the question, what is it that we need to risk? What is that part of our lives that are not fully given over to God yet? What do we take from the faithfulness of the servants that were obedient to the commission? Well, I guess exactly that. They were obedient. They found favor in the eyes of their master. And I think that's what they longed for. And is that not our desire as well? Is that not our desire to find favor in the eyes of our Lord? Let's be clear, their obedience in this matter did not determine whether they were part of the kingdom. They were already there. They were already there. Because they acknowledged and they knew the king. So my question to each one of us today is, what is your mina? What is it that you have in your hands to go and do business with, to put to work? Did you know that the word that used, I referred to it briefly previously, to work and commission in the Bible is actually the same root word. word. So um, that is the instruction that follows through from God from right at the start. So if God expected Adam and Eve to look after his creation, perhaps we need to think about what work we do for God again. 
We have had um, many prophecies about the growth of Hope Church in Seven Oaks. And we really live with the expectation. Speaking to Adam again this morning, and there's really an expectation that things are about to start to happen. But I, when I was thinking that, about that, I did think, so how big is Hope Church then? Is it the 100 plus people that are currently connected through 50 or 60 uh, Zoom uh, connections this morning? Is it the 284 names on our database? How big is our church? I, I'm an accountant, so pardon the few numbers that's following. Um, in, my, in my work, I'm responsible for 33 people that report to me. So let's assume for a moment that each one of them is part of a household of three people. Then I could argue that I have a church of 99 people. What would that mean if we think about Hope Church? Perhaps our church is bigger than people that are attending the service. But what does that mean to us? I could take the, the, the maths further. I mean, our business has 154 people. So perhaps I've got an opportunity to impact 462 people with the kingdom. Um, I, have, I have a team of 12 people that look after our customers in a call center, and they speak to our customers on a daily basis. Now, our customers represent um, a total of about 4,500 users. Uh, so I think my chairs have just grown to 13,500, don't you? Hope Church, if we just take who we are here today, if we think about the people that we have contact with every day, let's just assume each one of us have five households that we connect with every day through colleagues or friends. And on the same maths, Hope Church has just turned into 1,500 people. The values of our company is uh, truth and care. And I always challenge my staff with uh, answering a simple question after any, every interaction with the client. They need to ask themselves the question, did I deal with this client truthfully? And do they feel cared for because of the interaction with me? And I just get excited when I think about what we have in our hands, the meaning that has been given to us. We can do so much more because we know Jesus Christ as our Savior. We know the way to the eternal life. So can we also ask that question every day when we interact with people? Do they feel the kingdom of God when they interact with us? Do they feel loved? Do they feel forgiveness? Do they experience the peace of God that transcends all understanding? Do we have that impact? Let's try to make it, make it more practical. Each one of us who believes in Jesus as our Savior has the privilege of being entrusted with one very important mina, as I said, and that's the knowledge of salvation that ensures life eternal. Each one of us, found us find ourselves in specific context where we can demonstrate the kingdom to people around us. Every place, every business, every school, every hospital, every meeting, every relationship needs the kingdom of God. I was reminded of what we read in Matthew 25 uh, about the return and the king coming back and splitting the people. And then in um, verse 34, we read, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance 
the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was ill, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the in-between verses there, the righteous say all those things. Well, when did we do this? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. We can be the change agents of the society around us. We can bring glory to God. How do we make the kingdom of God visible to those around us on a daily basis? And, and I'm just going to list a few, probably a few very simple little things, which um, some of those you would say, well, it goes without saying. And the list can be as long as you want it to be. But I just wanted us to think a bit about how we go about our day. So it is tell the truth in all circumstances. That sounds simple, but is it really? Is that how we live? Don't gossip. Don't leave it there. Pray for your colleagues by name. Pray through your diary. Every morning we can look at the day ahead and really invite God into every meeting we have, into every conversation we expect to have. Our to-do list. Let's trust God to move in those daily activities that we have. And pray following very simple prayer. Father, show me what you see. Let me hear what you hear. And help me to do what you would want me to do in every circumstance and in every conversation. Respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Now, I think we, we, do, we often miss, I often miss when that happens. When that thought, someone's name coming to my mind in the middle of the day when I'm working with a spreadsheet, how does that happen? God is prompting me to either pray for someone or pick up the phone and find out how they are. I think we just need to be more in tune and be prepared to take a risk. I know we've spoken about what laws and legislation do around us and what we can do at the workplace or not, but you know what? In the last few weeks, with people going through terrible challenges through COVID and all of that, the Lord has given me an opportunity to pray with people because people are prepared to be prayed for. I always want to say, regardless of their religion, if people are finding life difficult and you say, can I pray for you? I can tell you now, nine out of ten people will say, yes, please pray for me. Let's be bold and show kingdom to people around us. And then we will be able to bring them here and they will come and be nurtured and find out more about our loving God. Our king is coming back and we are looking forward to him coming back. Are we motivated to please him, to hear the words good and faithful servant? Put to work what God has given you. Our Father will reward your faithfulness. And we will see many more added to the Church of Christ. I'm just going to close in prayer. Father, I pray that you meet each one of us here today. I pray, Father, that you will make your call on our lives, a reality in every moment in the smallest things that we do. Help us to realize that 
we live from Sunday to Saturday. Help us realize that us living in the kingdom is not restricted to connect groups and when we in our quiet moments with you. Father, but that you have given us a commission to go out there and touch lives. Father, let's bring kingdom to people around us in the smallest way so that they will be inquisitive, that they will be curious about what's different so that we can share your love and your grace. I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. May God's kingdom come. Thank you. Thank you, Adam.